Hello, and welcome to the Canine Conservationists podcast, where we're positively obsessed with conservation detection dogs. Join us every week to discuss ecology, odor dynamics, dog behavior, and everything in between. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I run Canine Conservationists, where I train dogs to detect data. Today, I have the joy of talking to Laura Holder of Conservation Dogs Collective, and we are talking about puppies. What could be more fun than that? So, Laura's lifelong fascination with canines, especially their unique ability to work alongside humans, inspires her every day in the field. She loves training and deploying the CDCI Finder Keeper teams to support clients in their critical conservation efforts. Driven by her boundless curiosity about how dogs think, learn, and detect scent, Laura has spent more than a decade as a professional in the fields of scent detection, nose work, and dog training. She's a certified nose work instructor, CNWI, through the National Association of Canine Scent Work, NACSW, and a certified professional dog trainer, Knowledge Assessed, which is a CPDTA, CPDKAA, through the Certification Council for Professional Dog Trainers. Laura has also trained for obedience and agility, and in addition to her involvement with Conservation Dogs Collective, Laura is also the owner of Connecting with Dogs, a co-founder of the Force Free Trainers of Wisconsin, and has a long list of continuing education credits. Her two Labrador retrievers, Ernie and Betty White, are her current conservation canine partners for detection work, and she oversees training for all of the organization's finder keeper teams. I'm super excited to get to this interview. I think you're going to enjoy it. We nerd out pretty hard on puppyhood, puppy raising, and... um, give a lot of good advice, I think. But before we get to it, we're going to talk about our weekly suggestion, which comes from Laura. And she suggests to stay curious by being more dog. Take a cue from your four-legged companion and stay curious every day. For 90 seconds a day, find little joy, find joy in little things and slow down. Have a good sniff and soak in the world around you one breath at a time. And without further ado, let's get to the interview with Laura from Conservation Dogs Collective to talk about puppies. Well, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast, Laura. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to talk about puppies. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know. Twist my arm, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I I don't always miss the days of like back when this was the Canine Conversations podcast and we'd have like episodes on behavioral euthanasia. Like, let's talk puppies instead. This is way better. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why don't we kind of start out, like, what are some of the pros and cons of getting a conservation dog from a puppy, um, as opposed to getting an older dog from, you know, of course, you can get them from a variety of sources. Yeah, so, I mean, it it depends on, you know, each individual, right? Mm -hmm. But for me in particular, I really find great joy in having some I'll say control over the puppy's <laughs> learning, right? Uh-huh. So being able to set up their their dog, just their dog life learning, like here's how it's like to be in my human-based world that I'm going to be keeping you in for quite uh-huh. some time. Um, and I honestly think that's one of the greatest, greatest benefits, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Not... I mean, I'm somewhat of a control freak, um, but I'm like in the, in the best way possible. So I've got all of the years of behavior casework behind me, you know, and I, were, I did a mm-hmm. lot of puppy class um, coaching and stuff too. So I enjoy that process and I find great joy in that as well. Um, and mm-hmm. I can also, uh, you know, if we talk about scent detection, I can also start setting up some age appropriate detection um, problems for them, but also using all the input and data that I'm collecting about like how the dog's doing, you know, out in the world. And are we noticing, um, you know, certain challenges with novelty of surfaces or people or other animals or whatever. So just having that holistic picture on that puppy's development, I 
I really think is great. Um, some of the cons are probably what a lot of the listeners think they are. So <laughs> the time, it's a lot of time. So it's a yeah. huge time investment, um, a monetary investment as well. Just like raising, mm-hmm. you know, a puppy for companionship. Like you have all that. So the vet bills, the, you know, the unexpected bills, the, um, mm-hmm. are we giving them the right food or, you know, like all that stuff um, mm-hmm. comes into play. And, you know, one of the greatest risks I think in, bringing up a puppy for this type of work is there is no guarantee that they are going to turn out to be the the dog you might envision them Mm -hmm. wanting you know to be that we want them to be anyway yeah Um, so there's that risk but you know my brain i try not to focus on that too much because i think there's risk in everything even when you do acquire a dog you know they could get sidelined with an injury so um Mm -hmm. but yeah that, those are kind of my top pros and cons as I was thinking about that that question. Yeah, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I think, you know, I think you're spot on about one of the biggest stressful or, or cons, uh, stressful things or cons of puppy raising being that, you know, you can do all the puppy assessments you want and you can really work hard to find the right breed and lines and breeder and, and litter and then puppy within that litter, but it's still... It felt to me bringing home Niffler, Niffler like a little bit more of a crapshoot than bringing home a shelter dog where um, I'd done a ton of assessments and a ton of work. And I think, and it, it, like clearly Niffler has worked out. It seems like Betty White is working out for you. Ernie was a puppy, you know, it's, so it's, it's possible. But I think as you're going through adolescence, there are going to be a lot of moments of doubt for the handler <laughs> in particular um, because of how fast their brain is changing. And I could see I could see it being a little bit easier with a puppy to potentially sink in a lot of time in that like I, I, and not that you'd necessarily rehome the puppy if it wasn't going to work out, but you may not know for sure that they're not going to work out until you've had them in your home for like two years. And if you've got an adult dog, you're probably gonna have a pretty good idea of whether or not they're gonna cut it for this job much, much quicker than that. Yeah, for sure. You know, the adult dogs, I always say, like, it's kind of a, what you see is what you get, at least from, you know, Mm -hmm. temperament kind of standpoint. So I totally agree with that. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I've also, you know, I'm a a dog lover and a dog mom, in addition Mm -hmm. to raising the two puppies that I've had. And like, I go through the same stuff. You know, companion pet owners have like, oh my God, my puppy's not hitting, you know, the house training benchmarks that my previous dog did. And I'm like, oh my God, what should I, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, like, Do I know how to potty train a dog? Do I know how to train a dog? So, you know, it's that <laughs> self-doubt too that comes into play. And, you know, again, like we've talked about on our previous mm-hmm. podcast episode too, like reaching out to others who are going through the same stuff or have done it just to keep your, you know, mind on um, and not freak out too much. So, yeah, puppies are puppies, right? First and foremost, yeah. they're puppies. They're going to do puppy things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely. I was literally just wrapping up a call um, with a client who's got an 11-week-old McNabb puppy, and they're dealing with some some biting and hurting and those sorts of behaviors. And most of our call was being like, yeah, this is annoying and not great, but it's not unexpected <laughs> given the breed and the age that we're dealing with right now. Um, so I, and I think generally throughout the whole, this podcast, we're going to be assuming that these puppies are coming from breeders. Um, we can, we can have a sidebar at some point about shelter puppies, but you know, let's, most of this is going to be centered on breeder puppies, because if you are getting a puppy for work, that's probably where you want to go. Um, so when you are trying to find a breed lines, breeder, litter, all of that sort of stuff, what are you thinking about? So like, you know, as I've 
developed as a person, I have found greater value and experience in interviewing potential, you know, breeders first and foremost. So, you mm-hmm. know, I, when I was younger, I got much more allured by like the looks of the dog, you know, and stuff that I would find on the internet and, you know, some of that. So, um, first off, like vetting the breeder, you know, what their mm-hmm. experience is, their communication, right? And like, you can ask mm-hmm. some pretty good questions and find out a lot more than the answer gives you with some mm-hmm. just strategic questions that you ask. Um, you know, I really look for breeders now that are invested in working their own dogs. They really know their own dogs. They have mm-hmm. the dogs living in the home environment with them. Um, and they are also active in continuing education, um, yeah. you know, for detection work, medical stuff, whatever it is, right? Um, they truly have a desire to be a better breeder um, and produce more healthy, sound dogs mentally and physically as well. Yeah. Um, and obviously when we talk about dogs, you know, kind of comes, I'll start with like the physical health of the dog. So, um, for working dogs, I'm a big stickler. Like they should be, you know, athletes. <laughs> they shouldn't be overweight. Yeah. So if I'm seeing breeders that are breeding, uh, working dogs and they're somewhat, you know, tubby, you know, that's not the dog's mm-hmm. fault usually unless there's medical reason. So <laughs> looking for physical health, how the, mm-hmm. the dogs are kept, um, some proven, you know, it gets into a little slippery slope with like proven titles and all that kind of stuff. But sure. um, there are some certifications and titles out there that have a lot of weight. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm looking for that. And with detection work, you know, I don't look for, obviously there's not a huge pool of like, I'm a bona fide conservation dog, you know, with little <laughs> ribbons and titles. So I'm looking for dogs with yeah. some kind of hunting titles on them. Um dogs that have either produced or have been active in police work, um, you know, search and rescue work, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff with, with some success. Um, yeah. I mean, those are kind of my initial, that's yeah. kind of what I look for, right? Yeah. I know when I was looking at litters, I had two litters that I looked at before I found Niffler that actually both parents were search and rescue dogs. Um, and those both seemed really promising. One of them I ended up not going with simply because they were in Florida and pickup during COVID was just not something I was comfortable with, um, which I know is kind of a lame excuse, but you know, I'm happy with the dog I got. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's a variety of different things we can look for. And depending on your breed, um, you might not find dogs with hunting titles or police titles. Like I, I know there's probably not a lot of cocker breeders with police work in their lines, but you probably can still find a good hunting dog. If you're looking at border collies, you're probably not going to get police work or hunting work, but you might be able to get some really good scent work or um, again, search and rescue sorts of lines. Right. Or even just working experience. Yeah, just good work. And that's appropriate for the breed. Exactly. And that's what I got. Niffler's parents, his dad is a competitive Frisbee dog and his mom is a competitive agility dog. Um, And the the, the litter mates are kind of all over the place. There is one litter mate who's going to be a search and rescue dog if all goes well. And two that are doing dock diving, one that's doing herding. And then I think three or four are are doing agility, a couple of them as their primary sport and a couple others kind of tacked onto their other sports. And that's the big thing I was really looking for is at least we know we've got some work ethic there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I didn't even answer the breed thing too. I'm like, I've just shifted over to Labrador. Oh, yeah, somewhat. no, it's a great discussion because <laughs> trying to think of where to start as like, I, I, most people are not breed agnostic. Um, so thinking about what breed is going to work well for them. Um, yeah. And that's where I know you've interviewed Kim Brophy. Like that has mm-hmm. kind of been my go-to now for people, whether they're getting a working dog prospect or a family dog prospect or somewhere in between. It's like, 
learn really learn about the breed of dog that you're attracted to and you might learn like i like just to look at those dogs now i'm gonna go shift over to this you know group of dogs or this type of breed yeah if Um, it was all in how you raise them there's a very good chance i would own a couple samoyeds right yeah but (laughs) but it's not (laughs) it's it's not (laughs) yeah so yeah so i mean and i think in the past um the there was an episode that came out yet on this show yesterday so when people are hearing this it'll be a couple months ago on selecting conservation dogs and i did an an, an overview in that episode on kind of breed um and so we can kind of recap again some of the breeds that are most commonly seen in this line of work and then why you why you may gravitate towards you know you're a lab lady i'm a i'm a border collie gal (laughs) um i'm still a shepherd lady at heart (laughs) for all those (laughs) listening out there but labradors have started to chip away one tail wag at a time (laughs) yeah 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 um yeah so okay so why don't we um why don't we then pivot towards talking about picking out a specific puppy from a litter and we can kind of, why don't we do two different scenarios here? So one, if you've got a really experienced breeder who's going to be more hands-on and then the other scenario being potentially you've got a lot more say in it, or you're kind of helping with the assessment and selection process Mm -hmm. um, and how that may differ. Okay. Which one do you want to tackle first? Why don't we why don't we start with the hands off breeder? So maybe the breeder does not pick puppies or maybe the breeder says, hey, I don't really know as much about this line of work. So I can give you my assessments of the puppies, but you can kind of help me guide which one is you think is going to be a good match, which was the situation I had with Niffler. My breeder was like, oh, my gosh, how cool. I think this is going to be a good cross for you. I know nothing about this. What assessments do you need me to do? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So in that regards, I'm going to assume um, that we have some benefit of time. So the litter is maybe not born yet, or it it is, you know, just a a week or so old. Um, I would be asking for a video, just like, I just want to see some video of like, you know, the puppy ambling around with its litter mates. Um, I might coach the breeder a little bit in that situation of, you know, like, have you heard of puppy culture and, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, start to get familiar with some of the benchmarks that are in that program for different sensory periods. Um, so like, that's just kind of my, you know, sidebar, like that's what I would be doing knowing with, you know, the knowledge that I have right now, you know, at this point in time, um, I'm looking for, it so depends, Kayla, you know, again, but it's like, I want to, uh, I want to see some stability in the dog, um, with regards to physical abilities, you know, if you're going mm-hmm. to, even at the breeder's house, you know, like if you put a new obstacle out, like what is that dog or the puppy's, um, response to that? You know, I'm not looking for a dog that maybe goes in head first, you know, like I'm going to dive head first into the shallow end right away. One that comes in thoughtfully, um, doesn't get, super spooked and can't recover, um, you know, from sounds, sights, textures, all that stuff, um, with minimal intervention too, from, you Mm -hmm. know, people that might be in the room. I really want to see that dog's natural response to things when they're puppies. Um, you know, with sociability towards humans, I like dogs that are social with humans, you know, and that's just Mm -hmm. part of because of where I live. It's a reality in my neighborhood. We're going to run into a lot of people. So that's an attractive characteristic for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Dogs that are super shy from people, you know, in that snippet of time as a puppy doesn't mean that they can't learn to, you know, coexist happily. Um, But that might be a really great fit anyway, 
for a conservation type task because a lot of times mm-hmm. we are working out in you know spaces by ourselves um, yeah it's one of the things that i know when i when i back when i worked at working dogs for conservation and i did a lot of outreach with shelters it was one of the things that i would talk to them about or with career change organizations as well where you know if you've got a public access service dog that dog has to be rock solid in so many situations <laughs> like it is such a high bar and there are a lot of dogs that um can do conservation work especially if you're not doing like a lot of zebra muscle boat inspections or other public facing things you can really get away with dogs that are not very friendly right but again then it comes down to kind of your personal at home situation as well as whether or not you actually can get away with that because the fact that you can have a potentially dog aggressive dog or really fearful dog out doing this line of work doesn't necessarily mean it works in your home Right, exactly. And that's just my viewpoint on stuff. Like, I just, you know, mm-hmm. I have a husband to keep happy and, you know, family and stuff, too. And that's not everybody's situation. And mm-hmm. I totally value and respect that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, like asking for a lot of videos, I would just be even tapping into some of the dog trainer friends or, you know, anybody mm-hmm. that can even get a second set of eyes on the litter. And I will say mm-hmm. as well, in the past couple of years, I've developed a huge appreciation for um, care staff, you know, veterinarians, uh, techs that are certified in physical rehab. So Uh sending videos over to that set of people so they can get a structural assessment on how that puppy moves. You know, they might might see something that you would never see, you know, like Mm -hmm. a a toe in on, you know, one of the legs or something. So um, that's, I think that's hugely important, you know, Again, not necessarily going to deter a dog from becoming a conservation dog, right? But if there's mm-hmm. something that can be worked on proactively with a physical rehab plan early on, you're just going to hopefully keep that dog's welfare, you know, a little yeah, bit Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, and I'm glad you mentioned that it does really depend as well. One of the things that I was thinking about a lot when I was selecting Niffler was that he was a bit of an outlier in his litter as far as being really independent as a young puppy. Like the breeder would send us videos of all of the, all seven puppies out in her backyard and six of them would be playing with mom and sticking around and, you know, snuffling and doing normal puppy stuff. And Niffler would be like 50 yards away, just like, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is very much so his personality. And I think had he been, a pointer or a spaniel or maybe some of the more independent breeds that you would see in this line of work that would have been more concerning for me but having like a border collie that's an outlier as far as independence probably means that it's going to just be as independent as your average pointer (laughs) um so you know versus if i was looking at and like i don't want necessarily the, the most social lab puppy in a litter but if i was looking at a litter of belgians I might want more on the social end of that breed, just again, because you're kind of thinking about what the bell curve of that breed is going to be. Mm-hmm. A hypersocial lab can be really hypersocial. Yeah. But a hypersocial Belgian, as long as we're kind of talking again in the bell curve of the breed, is probably still not going to be really hypersocial as far as like dogs go. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a good reminder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, okay. So then what about if your, if your breeder is going to be doing a lot more of kind of the selecting for you, which I don't know, was that your experience with Bernie? Bernie. (laughs) Bernie. It's a hybrid. (laughs) With Bernie, (laughs) with Betty White and Ernie. There we go. It's it's Bernie and 
Eddie, I guess. <laughs> Honestly, that kind of works. Maybe yeah, those, those are your next two dogs. <laughs> yes, the next two dogs of you know human names. <laughs> uh, oh my yeah, gosh, sure. your house would be so tongue-tied. Oh my god, it already is, right? So <laughs> just add to the fun. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so both of both of the pups, Ernie and Betty, uh, they were from breeders, and mm-hmm. they were both selected by the breeders for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so the difference in the two are they you know they're about two and a half years apart. So Ernie's it's crazy to say Ernie's four and a half already. Oh my um, god! But I know, like it also feels like the longest four and a half years in the best way. Like you were saying yeah. with Niffler, yeah. like we've shared so much time together. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so Ernie, I had the benefit with Ernie's litter that I knew the breeder like for years beforehand um Mm. i saw her raise a litter that ernie was from a repeat breeding so i saw her raise the first litter and i was part of raising ernie's litter a lot like i was not there for the delivery of the puppies or anything but when they turned two weeks of age like i was there at least once a week um getting to interact with the puppies yeah so i had that amazing experience and benefit to see just all of them and there were five in his litter so i mm-hmm. got to see the variety of how they they all kind of you know grew up and experienced the the puppy culture um mm-hmm. raising which his breeder was really great at um he in out of his litter it was him and a, a chocolate female um the two of them were almost like head and <laughs> you know nose and nose i guess for yeah like what was standing out for them as far as like confidence in new environments with all sorts mm-hmm. of novelty, um, you know, desire to work for food and toys and all that stuff. So um, the breeder decided to keep the chocolate uh, female. And then she was like, uh, you know, Ernie's your, your dude. And the other three yeah. went on to um, one of them's competing at high levels in nose work out on the East coast. And then one of them lives like about an hour from us. They're just a new family companion, which is a very important yeah. job. Yes. Um, and, and a difficult the, one. And a different, it is right. And the, the fifth puppy, he's in a family, a very active family with young children. So, um, so that was, you know, something that not everybody gets the opportunity to do. I was yeah. doing literally like daily check-ins with her. And she's like, oh, this is what, you know, that we did today. And here's how all the dogs performed and, you know, all that. So, Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with Betty, she came from a breeder that had been and still is breeding for professional police work, search and rescue work. Um she is established out in the East Coast, Catalyst Kennels. Um, Caitlin is mm-hmm. her name. And so I reached out, actually, she reached out to me because I was doing some design work. That's how her and I met. I, she needed Whoa. a new logo design. Yeah, nobody knows this story, I don't think. So Caitlin approached me. She's like, I needed a logo. I heard your name through the network of dog people and design people. And I'm like, cool, I would love to learn more about you and your breeding program because I was thinking about getting a puppy in a couple of years at that time. Um, so she, you know, told me all the stuff and I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm like, how old are you, Caitlin? She's like, you know, she's in her twenties and I'm like, oh, oh my, my God. God, she's been involved with, um, guide dog training and, you know, selection for years. Uh-huh. And she's just got, I mean, she, like as soon as she started walking, she started doing dog stuff. She's one of those cool. people. Yeah. So her and I hit it off really well. And, um, I was like, I'm going to keep in touch with you, you know, let me know more about your plans for breeding. She was doing one or two litters a year. Um, and by way of 
me sharing with her that like I live in the city, you know, I, I want a dog that wants to work when it's time to work, but I also need a dog for my own sanity in my house. One that can just chill out, you know, off yeah. duty without, with some training, of course, but you know, without me like going, Oh my God, you know, I need to run this dog 50 miles a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she's just, she knew that going in, she was very familiar with some other aspects of detection that are somewhat similar, you know, like arson yeah. detection dogs, even some of the search and rescue dogs, you know, they sit for a while and then they go out on deployment. So um, she had a litter on the ground, you know, I think there were nine puppies in Betty's litter and right around like four or five weeks, she just said like, you know, there's a couple candidates that I think are going to fit really well. And I did not mm -hmm. in either case have a preference for male or female. I just yeah. wanted a, a dog that fit in well. Um, yeah. And I had, you know, I had a situation at home too, where I didn't need to worry about bringing in, you know, like I, I had a male dog when I brought Ernie home, but a female would have been fine with that dog too. I know there's some dogs that are like, no, thank you. I don't want a dog yeah. of my own sex around me. So yeah. I had that, that leeway there. So yeah, Caitlin did a fabulous job of uh, selecting Betty for us. She really yeah. was like pretty much exactly what I wanted. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, that's Niffler. I think I, my experience with Niffler was a little bit of a hybrid where I think I met I first reached out to the breeder when the puppies were on the ground and they were three weeks old. Um, partially because I had I had another puppy that I had planned on bringing home and that fell through, so I was kind of looking a little bit last minute. Um, <clears throat> and um, you know, just kind of kept wa watching and waiting. And I got to go meet the puppies when they were five weeks old and get to help with some of their temperament tests. And then I met them again when they were seven weeks old. Um, and one of the things that we actually did um, that may be less of an issue, um, depending on the breed you're looking at, but this litter of puppies, this Border Collie litter, was a really colorful litter. So when the breeder, we had like a Facebook group that she would post puppy videos and assessments and updates into, I actually asked her to number the puppies and not tell us who was who as she was writing up her assessments. Because I knew that like, at least for me, the litter, gosh, there was a, a slate merle, a blue merle, a red merle, a black tri, two black and whites, and a sable. So it was just all the colors. Um, and like I knew that I had color preferences that I did not want to sway me too Bias, much. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. As I was as I was reading the assessments and trying to be like, okay, I think number three actually sounds really good to me, but I had no idea if that was like the black and white female or the slate merle male or, you know, who it yeah. was. Um, and then the big test that we did with Niffler, because again, she was, I, I was really communicative with her about like my needs and what the work looks like and my lifestyle as well. Um, and when we did their seven week assessments, she let me come and get to help. So I got to be the stranger and like open umbrellas at them and all that sort of stuff. Sure. Um, but we also gave Niffler, well, we gave all of them an impossible to solve food puzzle and then just kind of saw how they dealt with, with that. And yeah. kind yeah. of saw like how long they persisted and what they tried and all of that. And that was... Niffler was an outlier in his in his litter, but I I like I don't know I haven't raised any of his siblings. I don't know if that actually was predictive or not. <laughs> right. I mean that's the thing too. Like with Caitlin, she was very open about like she does multiple different assessments at different benchmarks. Some are detection yeah. based, some mm -hmm. are like Volhard and Avid mm -hmm. Dog and all that stuff. Um, she's like this is not a guarantee. You know, like she was always like this is not a guarantee. Like it's yeah, a but here's what we're seeing right I now. Own. Yep, exactly. So. That's just good for everybody to keep in mind too. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it's a good thing to keep in mind. So let's pivot. Would you ever consider a puppy from a shelter? Um, or yeah, why or why not? 
You know, I really do find value in supporting breeders that are are doing a, a bang up job. You know, they're investing yeah. time and money in that. And for me, I hate to say that I would never take a puppy because I don't ever like to say never um, from a shelter. Um, but I, I just like developing a relationship with with breeders and people, you know, and like they know their dogs and like I really resonate with that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't want to say I'm no in, permanently. Yeah. <laughs> but. I think I'm in the same boat. I could see it happening, especially if I ever end up working in a shelter again. If like a really cool puppy comes through, I could see it happening. Um, but for me, I think part of it is to me, the benefit of getting a puppy is knowing the breeds you know, knowing the lines, knowing the breeder, picking the right puppy, knowing it's been through puppy culture or Avidog or whatever it is, and knowing it's got all these socialization and genetic benefits. Mm-hmm. And to me, it seems like getting a puppy from a shelter is the worst of both worlds where I still have to do the potty training and I still have to go through adolescence, but I don't know the lines and I right. don't have as much of those behavioral and health guarantees. And again, even though they're not really guarantees with a breeder, but it, it, it it's always kind of confused me <laughs> to get a puppy from a shelter. Like I know it's uh, for, for pets, it makes sense, I guess. But even for pets, honestly, I don't think I would get a puppy from a shelter, but that's my hot take for the day. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know all the viewer, the viewers, the viewers out there listening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It, it is like that, that whole risk versus reward. So yeah. it is a little bit when we go in, like when we have a job that we, you know, enough, a service to provide to a paying client, mm-hmm. <laughs> setting up as much as we can. It's just like controlling antecedents and training with our dog, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to control antecedents with our own, our own behavior and yeah. actions that we're taking. So um, that said, like doing some assessments with litters of puppies at a shelter would be something that I'd be very interested in. in Yeah. And I have done some of that. The puppies I've nearly brought home from shelters have either been from a case where we had a whole litter and some of them were actually born and or born and or raised in foster homes that did puppy culture as well. So even though you didn't have the genetic background, you still had some of that really awesome socialization, but some of them, you know, it really varies as far as when you're looking at a shelter, as far as how critically under socialized they may or may not be um, and what their genetics can be like. Um, But then the other puppy that I almost brought home, and this was actually a couple of weeks before I brought Barley home was actually a training mentor of mine who worked at a rescue had a border collie Aussie mix puppy relinquished for being too much mm. who had no issues other than just was, uh, you know, a, a menace around the house. Um, but in all the right ways. Um, and so I could see, especially if, you know, again, if you've got kind of an in, but I wouldn't necessarily just like drive over to the local shelter and be like, you guys have any puppies? And then just like bring someone home. Right. Yeah. Yep. I agree with that. Hey, everyone, just dropping into this episode with an update on our Patreon. Um, So we still have all those same levels that we've talked about in the past. We've got the $3 a month doggy detector where you ask questions for me and the guests to answer each episode, but you also get to join our monthly training video calls, which are great if you're considering getting into the field of conservation dog training or are already in it and want to take you and your dog to the next level. Um, We will record the calls and then we publish the video for patrons to view and ask questions about. So everyone in all time zone gets, gets to participate fully. At the $10 level, you get all of that, plus the ability to ask questions, give feedback, and submit videos of you and your dog training for those calls. 
Um, and we also, we don't care about your target owner. So if you are working on competitive scent work or explosives or narcotics or anything like that, come on and join. It's a ton of fun. Finally, canine conservationists at the highest level um, for $25 a month get a private 30-minute call with me each month, um, which is cheaper than booking my time at journeydogtraining.com. Um, so I also have a couple new updates. As of October this year, we are also going to be doing a monthly uh, learning club call. So aside from those video calls where every all of the patrons get to uh, go through dog training specific videos in these learning club calls, we will all watch the same webinar, read the science, same scientific paper, or otherwise kind of participate in the same new learning opportunity, and then get together once a month on video chat to talk about it. So that's going to be a really great way to expand your knowledge, not just in the scent training world and the dog handling world, but also learning more about ecology, conservation, odor dynamics, all those great things. It's real nerdy. It's awesome. So I also added some exciting new merch. So for our patrons, now once every quarter, you will get an exclusive um, bit of canine conservationist swag if you join at the highest level. So there's a mini print of Niffler that's just kind of a cute little postcard of Niffler. Um, you get a canine conservationist mug after three months. And then there are a couple different stickers. And all of that just is kind of included in the cost of your Patreon. And again, all of that helps support this podcast. This podcast would not be possible without our members over on Patreon. So I do hope you go ahead and join us over on Patreon. Again, for as little as three bucks a month, you get all sorts of fun stuff. At those higher levels, you do get more one-on-one -on -one attention and you get swag. But even if you've got three bucks a month, uh, we really appreciate it and would be thrilled to have you around. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, so now let's kind of talk a little bit about early games and exercises that we might play, especially with like a baby puppy. Um, to help kind of prepare them for this sort of work. So maybe in that, like, they're like under 16 weeks old, like little fat mm. potatoes. What are we doing with them? Little potatoes. <laughs> little hairy potatoes. Little hairy potatoes. Yeah. With oh, teeth. Oh, man. Right? With <laughs> some shark teeth. Oh, yeah. gosh. Honestly, under 16 weeks, I am spending a lot of my time on basic puppy socialization. Mm -hmm. so when we go out and about doing our little socialization outings, I'll sprinkle in some scent work exercises by way of like food scatters. You know, I might bring a snuffle mat with me and we just, you know, do some food scatters there. Um, depending on where your, you know, people live and stuff. I love just to kind of opportunistically do scent work around things. So like right now there's a lot of those electric scooters around my area so i'm like thinking yeah. like as a puppy like if i had a puppy right now we'd be like setting up little like can you hop over you know like can you hop over the scooter yeah with both, both front and back feet can you do it sideways you know if i put the scooter on its side you know there's a lot of stuff you can do with just like a single object in the environment mm -hmm. um you know like meal i'm not a big one of like a dog especially puppies should have to work for every single morsel of food yeah um, i don't think that's fair at all um that said, sometimes I'll just set up like, you know, it's, it's dinner time. I'll throw down like, you know, one of those like X-Pen barrier expander panels. I'll just lay that down flat. So the dog has to like run across it to get to its food bowl. Sure. Um, yeah. Or even eat on top of it. Um, mm -hmm. I did some box work, you know, when puppies are that young following the canine nose work way, you know, just can you put your head in a box? Can we do a little bit of, you know, 60 second, scent work puzzles inside and outside is a big thing too for me so mm -hmm. um 
kind of like almost assessing some of the really great free resources out there for socialization checklists, but then going like, and a food hunt, you know? Like, yeah, in this location. So, uh-huh. Right. Yeah, there's railroad with, you know, an active train going by. Can we do a little quick scent work problem across the street, yeah. you know, on leash? Yeah, and so for your puppy scent work problem, that's probably just hiding like a piece of salami in the in the long grass or something like that. Yep. Yeah, and at first, I'm starting super freaking easy. Like, I want the puppy to see me put the stuff down, and (laughs) then I'm going to progressively, you know, make it more challenging as they're ready. But yeah, a single. Usually, I'll start with if I'm not doing a food scatter, you know, which I gesture that with my hand pretty quick with the dog, and they know that that means like just you know, it's party time down there. Yeah, find a bunch of stuff. Um, I'll have my my companion or you know husband if I can recruit him hold the pup on a leash and then I'll go hide a single piece of salami yeah. or cheese or whatever you know and I'm making it really fun and silly for the puppy to want yeah. to be engaged right so keeping the joy and and success rate pretty high in the beginning not making yeah, it too crazy definitely. and keeping things pretty low I'm not gonna be having my puppy scaling you know shelving units and stuff until they're developmentally ready for that and it's safe mm-hmm. um, so yeah. 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 That's great. So as we're moving forward, so, you know, we've got our baby puppies where they might be learning some basic box work, basic lineups, and then just practicing really easy food searches in public, as well as of course, all your basic puppy stuff, you know, like potty training um, and socialization. And then maybe what about like that early teenagerhood sort of age where maybe like five, six, seven months are, uh, and then again, and then we'll, we'll break out again to maybe that like nine months to a year. And then after that, we're going to stop talking about them as puppies, even though they still kind of are, but We'll cut this episode off at a year. Okay. <laughs> With the, and you're only halfway there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe a third Maybe. of the way there. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about like the, the preteen kind of, right? Yeah, let's talk about our preteens and then our, and then our teens. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. So you think you have a preteen. <laughs> yeah. So th- I mean, the the benefit of having a little bit older puppy, your preteener, um, their attention span is greater, right? And they mm-hmm. are mostly housebroken at that point. So you can start to set up some more challenging searches. Um, and by challenging, you know, it could be just a longer duration search that mm-hmm. you set up. So increasing the size of your search area or making um, your searches a little bit more complex where they might have to do, I really love doing barrier challenges at this age, mm-hmm. assuming that the puppies are okay with that. Um, and uh, let's see what else with that age group. I'm still going to err on the side of shorter ish training sessions and maybe just a single training session a day for scent work. Um, so still not taxing their brain too hard. Um, like you can with a little bit older puppy. Um so that that's part of it. And, you know, even looping in some of the waiting in your crate now, you know, like waiting in your crate skills, yeah. going to a mat, <laughs> uh, like both of those simultaneously. I think those are really great skills to just help reduce frustration and set up the stage for future um, demands of the job, as you know mm-hmm. very well, right? Like yeah. the, the transit times and, you know, when mom's putting data in and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You just get to sit around. <laughs> well, and um, even sometimes you might have to, like, I know I've been on a couple projects where it's like, you might have to sit in the car and wait while I work a different dog. Right. Yeah. And that is. 
not an easy skill. Not an easy skill for some dogs. It comes. I got really, really freaking lucky with Ernie. He was an amazing dog just to chill out and watch. Betty, not so much. So we did a lot. Like during her teenage months, <laughs> we did a lot of that, and she still protested quite a bit. So part of that is like that's who she is, you know, yeah. genetically. So it was my learning more than it was hers, to be honest. Um, but yeah, just knowing and, and having a sense of the developmental stages. And this is also where I think getting a dog from a breeder that really knows their dogs, they can really assist you in saying, you know mm-hmm. what, my dog's usually mature, <laughs> you know, at, at a little this slower age, right. A little slower than you might've thought. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's just good to, again, know that you're just like, Cause it's hard, right? Like we take stuff personally mm-hmm. cause we're humans. So it's like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm a failure. We're not doing this right. And it's like, no, part of this is just again, natural development of that particular dog. Um, yeah. That makes sense. And even just yeah. knowing, like, I know I found it really comforting to be able to call my breeder and be like, Hey, are any of the other siblings mm-hmm. doing X? Right. Um, or like, are we, are we dealing with anything, anything with uh, similar to this with some of the others? And like, I know Niffler's big thing, similar to Betty actually was watching Barley work was very, very hard for him and actually continues to be challenging for him. At this point, we just manage it with a covered crate and he'll go straight to sleep if he just can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just, that might just be our lifelong uh, plan for him. Yeah. Cause there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, and one of the things I actually noticed with Niffler is I, this is my hypothesis because one of the things he he just struggled in general with confinement where he could see something he wanted. And my hypothesis is my breeder did a ton of barrier challenges with the litter. Like almost every mm-hmm. single meal was a different barrier challenge. And it seemed to me it took him a long time to figure out that like crates and the puppy palace that I had at home are not just a really hard barrier challenge because yep. he would he would almost get frantic and like lots of vocalizations very upset and very persistent which like i like the persistence right. I, I like his workiness but um you know i don't want him to be upset right and that adrenaline even can just you know as you know very well it can shift over right and like sometimes mm-hmm. that's not gonna have the best thinking brain on when they're coming out with that kind of arousal level you know yeah yeah so then what about, yeah, kind of like our later teenagers, so like nine months to 12 months as we're kind of getting into that? Oh, so this is the time when you typically start to see glimpses of what your adult dog's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> right? But again, like some of it is, it's, it, you get selfish sometimes because you'll have really great stretches of time, you know, where you're like, can increase the challenges even more and we can do, you know, multiple um, training sessions in a day. Mm-hmm. Um so, I mean, I'll just assume like people know, like, just take some time off, you know, just give your dog the benefit of the doubt that they're growing during that time. Yeah. Um, you know, the brains are growing, their bodies are still growing. And I'm going to start to increase the challenges a little bit more with some physical, um, uh, I'll say like physical asks. So they might start to have to go, you know, down under and through things that are a little bit more harder. So, you know, and I teach them some skills, even though dogs know how to crawl if they really, really need to, you know, (laughs) if they're really motivated to get somewhere, I'm still doing a lot of canine conditioning outside of detection work with the dogs. So they learn the appropriate proprioception skills. Um, And I think that age is actually really perfect that like Mm -hmm. nine to 10 months of age, getting hooked up with a reputable, a person that can help you develop a conditioning plan for your pup. 
Um, that's really great. And it, it tires them out too. So that'll make for a very happy, <laughs> happy human. Yes. Um, yes. So, I mean, in general with my two pups, like, I would say like up until they hit about a year and a half, I was doing detection based stuff with them probably four or five days a week. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, anytime it would, you know, vary between five minutes to a longer session, like two hours with them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. And yeah, I know one of the things that like I've thought about a little bit with Niffler is just like, it seemed like he was just a really fast maturing little guy. And like one of the things I've been careful about as I'm like talking on social media and like been kind of on this puppy teenager dog selection kick on the podcast is being like, yes, Niffler was able to start working at nine months, but like there were like some specific parts of that project that was a really important part of how I made that decision. You know, it was small plots, wind farms, nice and easy to confirm. (laughs) Um, He was only actually doing about 20 minute searches and then he would get up to a half hour or so in between each one. Um, And yeah, he's just, uh, border collies tend to be a little bit faster maturing, especially compared to like our labs. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, just like everything varies a lot so i think that goes into our next question really well which is like managing and setting our expectations hopes and goals for our puppies um both on kind of you know the practical side of like okay i want to set some goals but then also managing your expectations on the other side and like keeping your mental game in the right place for for puppy raising yeah oh my god this is uh, another loaded question <laughs> i know, I know. Th- there are no easy questions on this show i'm sorry <laughs> that's i mean easy questions are kind of boring to be honest but yeah um I think what I would say is like, it, it's going to take time, right? So like just mm-hmm. going into this whole process of ra- when you you have decided to raise a puppy, you know, for this type of work, like having that, like it might take two years, you know, until mm-hmm. you guys are ready together to go at, you know, the, the job, whatever that job looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and even just some of the really cheesy, but excellent reminders, like, nobody's freaking perfect. You know, your puppy's not going to be perfect. Even if you put in the best training plan and the best goals and everything, like just wiping out like mis- mistakes are going to happen, right? Whatever mm-hmm. the mistake is. And like, that's fine. <laughs> like just, yeah. just let it go. Like Elsa, even though I've still never seen Frozen, I know she says, let it go. All <laughs> she the sure time. does. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, in sincerity though like this is an industry and like we want to do a good job and raise puppies for great work and have a lot of integrity in doing it so getting a mentor you know that can help you through that process you know ideally someone that's raised multiple dogs in some Mm -hmm. capacity whether it's for hunting or or whatever herding nose work yada yada um and always be ready to be your pup's advocate too. So like, mm-hmm. don't have the rose colored glasses on all the time, you know, mm-hmm. like sometimes we'll make up things about how our dogs are doing so well. And then we're like, actually they're struggling a little bit. Right. So yeah, just having that humble and vulnerable feedback on yourself and what you're seeing. Um, and that's where working with a mentor can just, you know, a nice, honest, but gentle mentor can be like, see something going on here <laughs> and you're like yeah. oh there it is you know and like being your dog's advocate because at the end of the day a dog i mean a dog should be a dog and we're the ones that are putting these uh asks on them you know by finding birds bats bees all that stuff mm-hmm. 
Um, so just having that reality, that reality check around you. Um, yeah, 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 no, that makes sense. And I think for me, one of the, my friend Ursa Acre, who used to run Canis Major Dog Training, she's now with Behavior Vets Colorado, she has said a couple of times, and she actually talked about this in the context of raising her son, who's now a six-year-old human, um, is that someone was like, everything is a phase, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether you're thrilled with what you're seeing or devastated, everything's going to be a phase. And especially at like different developmental periods, you know, one of the things I found really stunning raising Niffler was how fast most of his phases were, mm-hmm. where I did have periods of time where I was really worried about his career or really worried about his personality or just really frustrated with him. You know, before we hit record, I was like, when he was seven months old, I did not like him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but, you know, just like looking back in retrospect, so he just told, turned a year old a couple days ago. Um, so we obviously, we still have a ways to go as far as teenagerhood and maturity and everything. But those periods of time where he felt really difficult were actually shorter. In Like, they didn't feel short at the time. But um, in hindsight, think, now you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that was like yeah. two months of, but two months is still a long time when you're in it. And I think one of the things I was talking to a bunch of the other admin over at the, pe- the Pandemic Puppy Raising Support Group on Facebook and talking about and this is where a mentor can come in, knowing when to dig in and work hard on something you're seeing versus when to let it ride out. And there's not always going to be a clear right answer, but like Mm -hmm. one of my example with Niffler was he had a period of time, probably from five to eight months where he struggled with some intermittent stranger danger. Um, And, uh, then we went off to Nebraska and didn't really see anyone for three months. And I thought that that might actually make things worse, but it actually seems like now that he's come back to society as a year old puppy, um, he's actually much more confident and much more comfortable with everyone. And I could see how if I had tried to push too hard, potentially it, in that, I might've actually made the problem worse of like right. really trying to dig in and do like a big old behavior modification plan and everything. And like, he might've just needed a couple months to feel confident enough passing people on the street. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's yeah. A- <sighs> oh yes. Yeah. Everything's a phase. <laughs> Um, So is there anything that we didn't talk about yet so far about like selecting and raising a working dog puppy that you want to make sure we mention? Um, The only thing I would say is like, it is absolutely okay if raising a puppy is truly not your thing. Um, (laughs) So if you, you know, if you you see others around you doing that process of raising a puppy, you know, and posting like Kayla and I both have done, you know, it's like, Mm Sometimes we only post about the sexy stuff and the Mm -hmm. stuff that's going really well. Um, If you're like, if you have that little, it's more like a therapy podcast. It's like, but you know, I feel like it's my. (laughs) We've been doing a lot of these lately. (laughs) Yeah, like I feel it's my duty. Like if puppies aren't your thing, or if they're just like kind of your thing, there's nothing wrong with getting an adult dog. You know, Mm -hmm. whether that's from a shelter or a breeder that just has an older dog that needs a or career change dog. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, go for it. Puppies are a lot of work, <laughs> but yeah. it's also very rewarding. I, I really think my ideal next dog would be like a year and a half old female, like herding washout or something. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I'm like putting out into the world. <laughs> I'm just like five yeah. years from now, I want a year and a half old washout of, yeah. of something. You know, I'm sorry. This is like totally, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like we're going down the rabbit hole a little bit now. Let's I'm like, do it. 
there's a lot of folks that want to get into conservation detection, you know, the more the industry is getting out there and people are listening and reading about it. Um, I will say if you are brand new to the world of scent detection and want to get into this field, I would not recommend getting a puppy and trying to raise it up. Okay. (laughs) So mentoring with someone that already has a working dog or, you know, getting an adult dog and going through some companion you know scent work classes to develop mm-hmm. those skills i think is a very wise choice um, yeah that's a lot of what we talk about in our because we have like a patreon learning club for the podcast and mm-hmm. like yeah why don't why, why don't we get you where you want to go with your current dog or you know i've got a couple friends close friends of mine that like i've offered or had them like learn how to handle with barley and like even you know my friend rachel spent three months in the field with barley this year Mm -hmm. um and obviously not everyone who's listening to the podcast can do that because i only have one dog i can lend out and i won't lend him to anyone (laughs) um but it does feel like some sort of like lesson horse model like what you have in in horseback riding would be really useful for a lot of greener handlers if there's um so, well, yeah. you know, maybe one day <laughs> there'll that'll be a, a good option for people. Um, maybe there'll be a, a summer camp or something where people can go and <laughs> learn yeah. how to handle a little bit more. And especially working with a variety of dogs, one of the things I found really, one of my favorite parts of working at Working Dogs for Conservation was that I I had barley, but I also got to handle a couple Malinois, a couple Labs, a couple Mixy Mixes, um, one Springer. You know, and just kind of really figuring out, like, both do I like living with you and do I like working with you? Because a couple of, like, you know, they have different work styles as well. And for sure may or may not work for your training style or your, uh, just your personality in the field. Like, I I like dogs that work really cooperatively with me um, and are really in tune with me. And Border Collies can do that to an extreme. That's usually the problem we're working on. Mm -hmm. Um, but and other people really prefer a dog who's much much more independent so getting experience as with whatever dogs you can get your hands on before you go ahead and put a deposit down and and basically sign away two years of your life is probably wise right doggy dating it's a thing for real (laughs) and i even you know even for pet home people like i always recommend that people foster a couple dogs before they go ahead and adopt and just kind of really practice owning a dog see what you like see what you don't like because it's really easy to think that you like something and then live with it for a couple weeks and realize like oh no this dog is ready to go back to the shelter right right (laughs) Um, (laughs) i know like and this this is a little bit of a sidebar then we'll get to our last question but i've had several friends be like oh gosh i could never like i'd keep them all and it's like well if you want to adopt a dog you foster this one and after three weeks you want to keep it like what's wrong with that right but I have found generally with myself and with other people who foster it, I usually haven't had a hard time giving them back to the shelter. Um, you know, yeah. if you're, if you're picky enough um, and if you're not picky, you're not picky, then take the dog that's in your home. But anyway, and that's, that's like a total different sidebar. So our last question for today um, comes from our Patreon. And that question is, how can I be productive in developing a conservation or scent detection puppy while dealing with puppy brain and waiting for maturity to hit? I know we've talked about that a little bit. So why don't we go ahead with that? And then there's, there's a two-parter, but go with that one first. Do you mean proactive or productive? Can I be, how do I be productive in developing? I wonder if they do mean proactive. Okay. 
you can take it either way. Okay. How do you develop a conservation dog while dealing with puppy brain and waiting for maturity to hit? How about that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I will summarize it into trying as best as possible to expose and and positively influence that dog's mm-hmm. experience out in the world. Yeah. How's that for being as generic as possible? <laughs> Very yeah. broad brush. Right? I mean, I think I but I think that does that's a good point to hammer home of like a good conservation dog is going to be the dog that fits well in your household and is com- comfortable and confident out in the world. You can always teach the scent work stuff later. Like really focusing on making sure that they know the rules of the road and that they're comfortable in the world is probably the most important thing. And I know I had I had a, someone DM me on Instagram the other day being like, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed out. I've got this 14-week-old puppy and I just met with a scent trainer or a police trainer or something. And they were like, oh, you didn't start your puppy when they were 10 weeks old? They're never going to make it. And it's just like, that's like, especially not for, like, I don't know what this guy's doing, but, like, that's not been my experience. Barley didn't take his first nose work class till he was four. Right. So, like... Right, and that's just the difference in the industries, you know, and that's okay. Yeah. 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 It's too bad that he said that. Because <laughs> yeah. it's deflating, you know? It's really deflating. It's really deflating. There's yep. nothing you can do to go back. There's, n- no matter how bad she wants to, or no matter what she wants to do, she cannot make her puppy 10 weeks old again. Right. So right. and there's yeah, I think that's like another potential good thing to underline that I think we've alluded to is like, hey, it's okay, you've got time. Yeah. Like that's one of the benefits of a puppy is like with Barley, he didn't start his career till he was five. So I felt like a lot of our, especially like our early training, I was really trying to be like, okay, we kind of have to get this right because if I have these mistakes or hiccups or need to take breaks or whatever it is for a while his career is just getting shorter versus if you're starting from a puppy, it's okay if they don't hit the road and really start working until they're three or four. Cause you're still probably ahead of your average shelter dog mm-hmm. uh, option. Yeah. As far as longevity of the dog, at least longevity, longevity of their career. Right. So, okay. Last question is, are there certain signs that you can see early on in a potential conservation prospect puppy? So I think that's, again, if you're kind of looking at a a litter, what are some of the things that you're looking for? And maybe I'm going to challenge you a little bit and let's kind of assume that we've got a litter where most of them are pretty confident. Most of them seem pretty social. They're doing puppy culture. So like we've got generally a good stock of stable looking, happy, friendly puppies. Yes. Okay. So in, in a puppy, I'm going to be looking for like a, a dog that's motivated mm-hmm. to I'll say like engage with the environment with and without an external human produced reinforcer president. Okay. So, mm-hmm. you know, a dog, like if you throw down novelty, like does that dog just go over and investigate on its own? Right. Yeah. Or do you need to prompt them or lure them in with some kind of food or toy? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I love that kind of innate curiosity that some of the dogs have and develop over time Mm -hmm. um and i also i mean because in the field you know we do want the dog to be communicating with us so we need some kind of uh reward system in place Mm -hmm. i do think that there is a a very good opportunity to see if that puppy will engage with a a human-based reward so throwing down food toy whether you're doing a scent work problem or something else some other behavior you know, what kind of um, 
interaction does that dog have with you? Like, can you tell, you know, that they want to work for that, whatever you have? Yeah, um, yeah. I think you can see some really great potential in puppies in that regard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes perfect sense. And that sounds again, yeah, like a good place to start. So yeah. And hopefully as people listen to this, it's helpful if they're thinking about whether or not they want to get a puppy or they're starting to get a puppy, or maybe they've already got one and kind of wanting to get some reassurance. Um, and if people have further questions, they can always find this post over on social media and ask us some more questions. I'll, uh, I'll loop Laura in <laughs> if we get any and uh, force you to answer them as well. Uh, retroactively. Um, so Laura, we're going to include all the links to your social and everything in the, in the show notes, but do you have anything that you want to make sure to mention, um, places that people need to find you events for 2022 people need to know about this podcast will probably air in November or December of 2021. So don't bother plugging anything that happens before then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, Old school in a way, but still reputable. Check us out on our website, conservationdogscollective.org. It's not going anywhere. Um, and that's got all of our links to social and, you know, any blogs or features of podcasts that we're, we're being part of there. Um, 2022 seems like far away, but I know it's in a couple months. We don't I have know. any events planned mm-hmm. yet because of the evolving whole situation pandemic thing? with yeah, yeah. the pandemic. So... <laughs> We'll see, but we're going to be doing some uh, Ask the Canine Keeper Q&A sessions. So we've got one Uh coming up in December. I know it might be past when this is published, but we're going to try to do those every three months or so um, with a particular topic. We don't Mm -hmm. know what we're going to talk about yet in December, but there's a lot of things to talk about. (laughs) There sure Um, are. Yeah, so we've got that going on. And then just, you know, continue to follow along. We have a newsletter as well that we're going to start to you know, be more active with sending mm-hmm. uh, a monthly update that we'll have some upcoming events on as well. Excellent. So, yeah. 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 Again, we'll make sure to link to all of that in the show notes. Um, so thank you again for coming on. It was a pleasure as always, Laura. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's always fun talking Woo-hoo. with you and puppies or just the icing on the cake. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned a lot and are feeling inspired to get outside and be a canine conservationist in whatever way suits your passions and your skill set. This week's call to action is to update your Amazon smile to benefit canine conservationists. So if you go to smile.amazon.com, set canine conservationists as your charity of choice. And then if you ever so choose to purchase something from Amazon, the proceeds will go towards our nonprofit. It doesn't cost you anything extra, um, but it's really beneficial. I know a lot of us may be trying to stay away from Amazon at this point in time, but sometimes you still do need things delivered. Um, so make sure that canine conservationists can get a little bit of a kickback whenever you do go ahead and support Jeff Bezos. Um, <laughs> you can always find our show notes, donate to canine conservationists, buy merch, and join our Patreon learning club at canineconservationists.org. Until next time.